For the ones going above and beyond. For the ones reaching out, helping out, and lending a hand. For the ones people count on. You can count on Granger. Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry. Backed by 24-7 customer support and specialists to help with hard-to-find products. Because you've got everyone's back. We've got yours. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Hi, welcome to the Let's K-12 Better podcast. This podcast is a project between Monwell Capes and her kids. Hi! In our podcast, we will cover a variety of subjects involving K-12 education and family life. We will talk about the ways that parents, kids, and educators can improve K-12 education and family life. We encourage you to join our conversation on social media using the hashtag Let's K-12 Better. Let's jump into Season 2, Episode 12 of the Let's K-12 Better podcast. Who are we in community with? Where does social, emotional learning, and civics overlap? What does justice look like if we're allowed to contribute everything we are to our society? These are questions that David Adams thinks about every day. David Adams is the Chief Executive Officer at the Urban Assembly. He's also a Civil Affairs Officer in the Army Reserves and the dad of two sons. As a board member at Castle, the Collaborative for Academic, Social, and Emotional Learning, and an author on topics in SEL, Equity, and Emotional Intelligence, he knows his stuff when it comes to social-emotional learning. Mom sat down with Mr. Adams to discuss how we reimagine the ways we build stronger communities and engage in civic work. We hope that you enjoy this conversation. delighted to have David Adams, CEO at the Urban Assembly, join us today on the podcast. I think that David is super dope. I am so excited to have him here today uh, to share his knowledge and wisdom about equity, student voice, civic education, and all of the other things of wisdom that he has for us today. So David, welcome to the podcast. Amber, I couldn't think of any place I'd rather be at this point in time uh, I'm so honored to be here with you and participate in the conversation that we're going to have today. Yes. All right. Well, then let's just get started. All right. Um, so let's get started by getting to know you. Right. We want our listeners to know who you are. Uh, you are the CEO at the Urban Assembly, which is a consortium of over 20 schools, scaled up uh, promising programs and partnered with hundreds of public, private, and nonprofit sector partners to increase educational opportunities, right? And to close the opportunity gap for thousands of low-income youth in New York City. So this is amazing. Um, If I'm unfamiliar, though, right, with the Urban Assembly, can you share a bit about the organization's mission and work? Absolutely. Thanks for that question, Amber. Uh, So the organization's mission is focused on enhancing the social and economic mobility of young people by improving public education. We envision our graduates as being college, career, and community ready 
Uh, and we do that by investing in the academic, social, and emotional, as well as career pathways opportunities for our young people. Uh, we do work across the city. As you said, we have 23 district public schools in which we innovate within in order to scale without, right? So the, the innovations that we develop within our public schools are scaled to the larger New York City community, as well as communities across the country. So places like Los Angeles and Tennessee and Texas, uh, they've all benefited from the work that we've done on behalf of, of kids uh, who could benefit from social and economic mobility in the context of the improvement of public education system. So it sounds like this is how schools should be. Um, and we'll get a little bit more into that uh, later on. But I do want to talk about, you know, you're participating in this just really amazing and leading, not even participating. So let me first set that straight. You are leading this organization and doing this great work. Um, but I'd like to know a little bit about your own journey to this point. Um, what inspires you to pursue the work of educational equity rooted in social emotional learning? I appreciate the question, Amber. Um, so educational equity to me is about uh, how we think about this notion of community and justice, right? How we think about how who, and who we're in community with um, and what does justice look like? if we want to create that community that allows us to contribute everything that we are to our society. And so when I think about social and emotional learning, I think about the skills and the tools and the processes that we need to maintain and develop that community. I think about things like active listening, perspective taking skills. I think about things like resolving conflicts. Uh, I think about things like knowing who you are and what you need. Um, and it's amazing to me because I think this is this is truly what humanity has struggled with. I was on a panel yesterday and somebody said that history is about the, the way that humanity has tried to solve problems, right? And we learn from history is what went well and what we need to continue to, to improve upon. And so um, this notion of equity, I think, is an is a underestimated um, uh, effort. Right? It's, it's not like one plus one equals equity, <laughs> you know, or two minus three equals equitable outcomes, right? It's this ongoing conversation uh, that allows us to pursue this notion of we the people um, and challenge ourselves to come up with ever greater imagination with regards to who the we the people is and how do we include them in a way that's just and fair and keeps them in community. So. Uh, that's why I care about equity in the context of social and emotional learning. Um, I think that when we are uplifting all of our kids, when we are uplifting all of our schools, then our entire society benefits. So if we can create that imagination to send a man to the moon, we can create an imagination to reshape the educational systems in our country. If we have an imagination to come up with a vaccine, uh, for a virus we didn't know existed two years ago, uh, we can have an imagination to invest in the kind of uh, builders of, of people, right? And, and that's what I care about, and that's why I think that social emotional learning gives us the tools to translate that imagination to real life. So, you know, I'm going to ask one more follow-up. What do you think is at stake then, right, if we decide not to pursue, you know, educational equity rooted in social emotional learning? our sense of community. Um, you know, I think what the United States failed to do in our founding was to imagine a community beyond 
the limitations that had been put in place, right? And that was around things like um, royalty and, and landed gentries and titles. And so, you know, the folks who were in charge at the time had had some imagination in terms of saying, you know, we can do better than the only way to own land is to have to be, uh, have a title um, and have vast majorities and vast uh, poverty, right? Um, where the vast majority of folks were contributing uh, a lot of their labor to a very small percentage. And, um, and I don't also want to, I want to honor the folks who at the very beginning said we could do better, right? Uh, we can do better than just uh, white men with land. They, they, they were folks from the very beginning who said we can do better than that. Um, but at the same time, the, the extent to most folks' imagination at the time was um, let's figure out how we can be in a better community and a more perfect union than one in which um, the, the landed gentry is just extracting wealth from peasants. And, and so that was pursued and that an idea, that emotion, that notion uh, inspired generations of African-American women and LGBTQ folks to continue to realize that dream, um, not just for landed uh, white men, but for our entire country. Right, for our Hispanic brothers and sisters in the Chicano community, Cesar Chavez, um, and not only in the United States, but to take that notion and export it across the world in which people thought, I can participate in my government. I can be the community that I would like to, to create. I don't have to have people tell me who I am just because of uh, what blood they inherited from their ancestors in the context of titles. Um, and then you had black folks who said, what about race? You know, I'm an AI woman, right? I too sing America because of that Winston Hayes, but I have this darker brother sister. And so, or excuse me, I have a darker brother. So this is this is what's at, at risk. What's at risk is our continual refinement of who we are as a community, as who we are as a nation. Um, and it's time for us to take those who have the imagination and what the willpower to bring us in a larger, deeper, stronger community uh, to stand forth and say, yes, we can do better. Uh, this is what we were, but it doesn't have to be who we have to be, or who we have to be in the future. Um, and and we talk about the skills of perspective taking, of listening, um, of empathy, of community building, of relationships. Those are the skills that we will need to bring to bear to make that dream a realization. Um, and and I think you know hopefully that when I leave my kids a legacy, it would be a legacy in which they saw folks use these skills um, and teach their kids how to use these skills to, to make the world, um, or at least our country, I should say, a place that is worthy of the sacrifices of those who came before us. Yeah, you know, that's super, super awesome. And I love that you're using um, this whole being more imaginative about what is possible with the human experience. Um, I think we think of imagination and we immediately go to technology or to go off of this planet or some other, you know, out of this world idea when um, much of what we need to think about when we engage with each other is being a bit more um, flexible in our thought about how other people experience their own lives and their own stories, which, yeah, we'll talk. I think, you know, I mean, you know, we, we can critique our founding fathers for a lot of reasons, but uh, nobody thought peasants should rule, rule, have any relationship to be able to rule their country. That was crazy, 
right? right. Men folks were meant to be ruled. You know, master commander Russell Crowe, he said, men are meant to be governed. But that was the notion. Uh, and then, you know, for what it's worth, <laughs> the United States came up with this notion of self-governance and people were like, well, good luck with that. We'll see you in, in 20 years when that falls apart in a riot. So, you know, we got we to gotta honor folks for their senses of who they are and also um, recognize that we can do better. I'll give you a quick example, Amber. Um, yeah. So, you know, Star Trek, right? Yes. Um, time out. That's my one of my favorite shows. That's the thing. <laughs> time out, though. Uh, next generation or are you like old school? So wait, I'm next generation D Space Nine in particular. Uh, okay. You know, okay. Borg is eh. Uh, I can get with it sometimes, especially the Borgs. Uh, okay. But but this this specific uh, this specific example comes from the original trilogy. Okay. So what I find so interesting about this, and this is something my dad taught me, is so we're in this space, and you know, Star Trek, you got warp speed engines, you got alien species, you got O'Hara, you got Kirk kissing, right? They're like, we are a progressive show that has a vision of the world that is not bound by not just racial kind of conflict and constraints, but alien versus human, mm -hmm. right? And there's a scene where uh, somebody asks Kirk, you know, when are we gonna have a woman captain or can the Starfleet have women captains? And Kirk looks around and is like, man, that's crazy. Like, like <laughs> women captains, like, you know, we're exploring the stars here. We're, we're seeking out new worlds and new civilizations. But women captains is just something that's that's not that's not on the docket of what we're trying to accomplish, right? So exactly. even those with an imagination that could see the racial strife and imagine the future by which um, we were judged based on who we were, not just on uh, what racial category we were in, um, failed to have an imagination to extend that to our, our, our women, um, and 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 that's what I mean, yeah. right? Um, when we think about that, right? Uh, we got to honor, again, the folks, folks who are like, no, no, we, we can be captains, right? Because <laughs> they were folks who were at the time who were like, no, I, I can see that. Um, but it, it is hard for folks to see beyond the social constraints and social structures of, of what they know. And, and that's when we talk about what it means to be college educated, excuse me, college uh, career and community ready, uh, that our schools should orient our young people for not just the building of physical bridges, but also building of the social bridges that allow us to continue to meet. Hmm. That's, that's awesome. So then let's like talk about a space where you and I actually participated in a reimagining process. Mm -hmm. um, you, we both were members of the Lift Every Voice um, conference organizing team. Shout out to them. Shout out to us. It was Shout super out. awesome. Yes, yes. Um, so I have to ask you like, you know, thinking about reimagining, like what is the relationship between SEL and racial justice or anti-racism work? So I think when we think about this notion of social awareness, he says, um, in the context of schools, students demonstrate the awareness and value uh, of the role, excuse me, students demonstrate awareness of the role and value of others in the greater community. So students demonstrate awareness of the role and value of others in the greater community. Uh, that, is, that is a concept of social awareness, right? And when we talk about this with the kids, they're always like, I think this is great, Mr. Adams, we're, we're rocking and rolling, you know, built some social contracts off of that notion, but it's unclear to me who is in my community. You know, uh, is it my is my advisory? Is it my school? Is it my neighborhood? Like, who am I in community with and how would I know? And so what was so interesting to me is if you look at you know, the history of the United States, there was such 
um, an intentional, explicit effort to make sure that black people could never be in community. Whether that's the actual living communities uh, in terms of housing and redlining and segregation, uh, but also just like in the Dred Scott decision, actually the community of human beings, right? Um, and, and by extension, by denying us uh, opportunity to be in that community, we were not able to access the rights that the, the founding fathers had apportioned to communities, right? The, the rights of, of inalienable rights, the natural rights, because those were for folks um, in the human community. And so they, they called us subhuman, right? Worse than human. Um, and so when I look at anti-racism, right, what racism stemmed from is that, that challenge of negotiating natural rights that all men are created equal with the need to subject and exploit the labor of black folks. Um, and so anti-racism to me is restoring the dignity of being in that community uh, with, with other people, not because I, I feel particularly, you know, uh, obliged to hang out <laughs> at, in spaces in, outside of my own uh, per se, but because of the dignity that was associated with that, right? If you look at Jim Crow, everything they did was designed to teach us that we could not be in community from draining pools when black people swam in it to closing pools when black people uh, who were paying taxes asked to desegregate it um, or pushed not fought i should say not asked because we fought um, to putting lower water fountains to calling black men boys uh, to never using honorifics like mr and mrs right all these things were designed to, to deny us dignity and to tell us that we could never be part of this community. Um, and so I think on the SEL side of the house, what, what we're able to do uh, is bring people into a place with tools, um, with tools that allow our story to be, sh to sh to be shared. Right? Martin Luther King said when he talked about the role racism played, right, is that it made people ignorant of their own thoughts and beliefs, that, that they couldn't even think straight in the context of, of um, evidence uh, warped their ability to see the world right and so i would say that what scl does is it gives us some tools to be in relationship with each other to be in community with each other not because there's a hierarchy that i just feel you know um so uh, impelled compelled to be uh, included in per se right but because i want to make sure that we reclaim the dignity and the humanity that was written into the, the, the founding documents of this nation. Right? Martin Luther King called upon Thomas Jefferson's words when he asked us to live up to the nation's promise and not cash or, or cash us the blank check that had been written. Right? And so it's these concepts of being in relationship, this, these concepts of being in community, these concepts of perspective taking. If you think about how John Rawls came up with his. Um, theory and his philosophy around uh, liberalism, it was um, imagining that you could be born in any social class, of any gender, of any race, what kind of society would you construct, right? That's perspective taking, you know? That is saying, imagine if you weren't born and that whatever privileges that you had, and it would be a totally random thing, how would you organize your society? And that's where he derived his principles of liberalism. So these are perspective-taking skills. These are relationship skills. Uh, these are community-building
building skills. Um, and these are the skills that remove us from the founding stains of our country uh, to ones that live up to the promise of the founding documents that organized who we are as people. Okay, first of all, all of that needs to be on a t-shirt, like as a whole speech. <laughs> number one, <laughs> like real talk. But number two, I was just going to say that, um, you know, I when I heard you talking about um, the the little bitty things, and they're not even little bitty, right? Like not using Mr. or Mrs., calling black men boys, right? Um, I think people think of racism, right, as a huge, egregious act from one person to another person, right? Like I'm calling you a negative word. I'm, you know, call, pouring stuff on you at a lunch counter. I'm putting, you know, dogs on you um, while you're walking down the street protesting for your rights. And not the things that each individual participates in almost unwillingly, right? Uh, to uphold systems of oppression. So I really appreciate you pulling in those, what people would just not even think about, like not calling someone Mr. or Mrs. or, you know, moving the water fountains lower or calling yeah. someone boy. Like that's, that's, a, that's. Or it turns through the back door. Right. You know, I mean, like, like imagine what it means to just knock on a person's door, right? And like walk through their front door as an act of, of liberation, as an act of dignity. I mean, that is what, you know, we talk about dignity. That, that's what we're talking about here. That is what was stripped from us and continues to be stripped from us. I'm mm -hmm. um, the legacy of these systems. You know, I may move and be able to enter through the front door of a white person's house, but there's a historical memory of the fact that that would be an egregious act um, 60 years ago, yep. you know, 70 years ago in my grandmother's timeline. So it is difficult to be, um, it is difficult to hate those you're in relationship with, to, to, to degrade and to strip dignity from those who you're in community with. And, you know, I had a friend of mine when I was in a, a training in, for to be an engineering officer in the army, he told me, you know, He's from Boston. He said, Dave, I, you always know who the Vietnam veterans are in Boston. And I don't know if this is true, but he told me this. He's a white guy. He said, this is the only place you see black people and white people hanging out. Because, because you know, they're, and that's how you know they're veterans, right? You have to have some sort of experience that supersedes the, the narratives and the structures that we've put together. Um, and that's, that, that's when we have respect, right? And that's when we have a sense of dignity. That's when we have a sense that we are all in the same place. So, yeah, I'll never forget that, Ember. I'll never forget the, 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 the minute indignities, um, the stepping off of the sidewalks, you know, the balcony, the, the all, every, nothing was too small right. to, 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 to visit on Black folks in order to keep them from recognizing our dignity and our power. And so uh, in the context of SEL, I think we need to be in relationship with each other on equal terms. Um, and that comes through storytelling, that comes through sharing experiences, that comes through the tools of perspective taking um, that allow us to see folks for who they are. 
not who we want them to be. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we're going to segue a bit to talk about, you know, SEL and civics because, and actually it's not really a segue because I feel like this whole conversation is just wrapped up in all of the things. So, you know, if you could dig in just a little bit more about this relationship between social emotional learning and um, civic education, like how would you, how would you connect those? Because many people do not see a connection. They see civics as very sterile. They see SEL or social emotional learning as very like warm and fuzzy, you know, mm. so if you could connect the dots for folks, I think that that would be super helpful. Yeah, thank you, Amber. And I got to say just a shout out to you because you have always led um, with such clarity in this space, uh, letting people recognize that civics is what we do every single day to invest in our communities and to manage uh, competing priorities. So just, I want to definitely shout you out for that. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think, you know, <laughs> the difference between being an activist and being, I call a statesman, but, you know, could also be a politician, um, is that an activist is pushing their point of view in order to reshape or influence society. A statesman is, is trying to compete multiple points uh, or to navigate multiple points of view to try to pursue the common good, right? Um, again, you know, just, just go back to it. Black people were excluded from the notion of the common good, right? We just, folks were just not concerned about our version of the common good because we weren't part of the community. Um, and so when we talk about, talk about civics, it's about this very difficult and dynamic process by which you have maybe five different people with five competing needs, um, five competing stakes, and they need to come to a, a consensus, a notion of how will we compromise, how will we collaborate, how will we integrate these things into a common good that we can all get along with. And then in our, our history, right, we've done this. We started with small bands, hunter-gatherers. We moved to um, clans that can organize based on familial ties. Then we moved to... Uh, towns uh, that can organize clans and then city-states that can organize towns and then nations that can organize city-states, right? Uh, and we keep abstracting this notion of community, uh, but what we've not had to, uh, been able to ever uh, escape is the negotiation of competing priorities. So social and emotional skills are about um, being able to hear other folks uh, being in dialogue with them, being able to take the perspective, uh, be able to pursue community as a, as a value concept in, in SEL, um, being able to be relationship and resolve conflict, um, being able to understand what your own needs and wants are and communicate in a way uh, that allow folks to hear them. So uh, to me, it's the very foundation of civic life, the, the idea that schools in America which founded the notion of a public school because of what it meant to participate in democracy. There was a 100% relationship between the public school concept and the civic responsibility of citizens. The notion that schools would only care about who our kids, excuse me, what our kids know, as opposed to who our kids are, is crazy, right? People say this is a new idea. This is not a new idea. I mean, social emotional development was at the founding of the core of the American public school system. There, would, there is no question, if you look at the writings of Horace Mann, um, or even Martin Luther King, who was talking about intelligence plus character, that 
the responsibility of our public schools is to develop the whole child. At T-Mobile, we believe in putting people first by treating them right. So we've upped the benefits without upping the price. With Magenta Max, you get our best plan for 5G with unlimited premium data that can't slow down based on how much smartphone data you use. Plus, you'll pay zero cost to switch. And bring your phone. We'll pay it off up to 800 bucks. Only at T-Mobile. Capable device required for 5G. Activate up to 4K or video streams at 480p. 40 gigs high-speed tethering. Up to $800 via virtual prepaid card. Allow 15 days. Support charges waived. See details at T-Mobile.com. At T-Mobile, we believe in putting people first by treating them right. So we've upped the benefits without upping the price. With Magenta Max, you get our best plan for 5G with unlimited premium data that can't slow down based on how much smartphone data you use. Plus, you'll pay zero cost to switch. And bring your phone. We'll pay it off up to 800 bucks. Only at T-Mobile. Capable device required for 5G. Activate up to 4K or video streams at 480p. 40 gigs high-speed tethering. Up to $800 via virtual prepaid card. Allow 15 days. Support charges waived. See details at T-Mobile.com. Now we got to do that in community with our families, right? We can't just, you know, step out and be like, we got this, you know, we're going to teach him X and you can, you can do whatever you want. Um, we got to do that in community with our families. Um, and it's not a design to uh, compete with our other civic institutions, our organizations of civil life, right? But, but certainly we can't be ignoring the social and emotional development in the biggest public investment in our young people that we have. Right, which is schools. So, um, if we want to create uh, a, a populace um, who understands and contributes to their their legacy as a democratic society that has the longest democratic uh, constitution in the world, um, then we need to use our schools to uh, equip our young people with the kind of skills that they will need to prolong. That it only takes one generation, you know. Uh, you can do something for a long time, and you know it's like, you know, you got you got something in the family, you got the family business for two hundred years, and everybody's excited, and you give it to your son, and he just just screws it all up, you know, takes out loans and no more family business. So every generation we need to re uh, um, uh, invest in our young people's notion and skills. Um, an orientation towards navigating that common good. And so I don't think there is civics without social and emotional skills. And I don't think there are schools without social and emotional development. I'm going to say that, obviously, I agree with you. Um, I would also say that I think people are a bit apprehensive because democracy is messy, right? You engage with other people, and that is um, just you're like, ah, oh, I got to hear this person talk about their problems. And then I have to consider those problems. And then, you know, I have to like figure out how do they align with my problems or not align, you know, like I think many of us need to lean into um, the hard work required, right, of us to actually engage in civic processes uh, in meaningful and impactful ways. And I think, um, you know, listening to what you've said about the relationship between social emotional learning and civic education, you know, it sounds like we need to start thinking of the individual as a civic institution. Mm. I don't know. Like, what mm. do you think about that? I think, I think, I love the way you said it, right? As a, as a civic institution, um, we are, we are our communities. You know, people like, yo, Dave, you know, I don't really like this community. Like we, we are that community, right? Like right. what I do for my community 
is is part and parcel of what it means to, to contribute to that. I got a, I got a neighbor, um, you know, I've been sitting at home and because of COVID. I, I get out every now and then to come to my schools, but uh, for for large extent, I'm just looking out the window, seeing what life is about. Yeah, that's. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm that old lady, you know. Like you used to be. I'm there you know, with you, bro. I'm I know everything that happens on my block. So I have this neighbor man, and every day he comes and he walks up and down the street and picks up trash. You know, and he doesn't post it on Facebook, look at my civic responsibility, my social performance. He just does it because he wants to contribute to our community. So, you know, I think my big thing is pride matters. Without pride, there is no energy. Um, and, And we can critique our founding documents and we can critique our founding fathers and and the the limits of their imagination but take pride in the legacies that folks have left us and not just our founding fathers but our our black brothers and sisters who stood up and made those words ring true right who use their people power to say you know i too am american so um i just um, i'm a big fan of, of of developing a sense of pride in who we are because uh, that's the only thing that keeps us moving. That's the only thing that invests us in improving. Cynicism doesn't solve any problems, <laughs> you know? Like, like you said, you got to sit around the table and, and listen to all these people approach you with all your, their issues. And cynicism is not going to move that, that situation forward. And, and that's why we talk about investing in these skills that develop the kinds of values that our young people will need in order to solve the problems of being a multiracial, multi-ethnic democracy um, in 2021 and beyond. Yeah, that's real. That's real. So then let's let's talk a little bit about equity, access, and evolving the way that we educate and prepare young people for civic life and also just their future, right? Um, so you're a pro, and I would like to ask what suggestions you have for reimagining access to amazing opportunities for kids. I think in the civic space, right, uh, we got to remember that, that schools are um, society's investment in our future. Right? If you think about um, what schools represent, there's only so many institutional um, organizations, particularly you talk about uh, in some of our poor neighborhoods, right? You got police, you got justice system, criminal justice system. Um, you have your social welfare system, that's kind of like catching up with you, but then you have your schools. Your schools are the institution that says, I want to create the potential, or at least, excuse me, unleash the potential that, that, that each individual has inside of them to contribute to that society. Um, so then we got to organize our schools in ways that give students an opportunity to use these skills to resolve conflict. People tell me, you know, Dave, uh, how can we talk about values in schools when folks have different values? I'm like that's that's just the world. <laughs> Folks have different values, you know. What are we gonna do about that? Are we just gonna sit around and like put it in our back pocket and, and, and not have a conversation? Uh, if that's that's not the answer. We gotta come up with a way to navigate those different values in order to keep us in community. Otherwise, that there's there's only the the balkanization option where we all just go back into our different places. Um, and talk bad and talk smack about, you know, you know, how does Amber do her Sunday dinner uh, versus how Dave does his Sunday dinner, right? And I'm not saying we have to come to a complete consensus, but surely our students can practice consensus development, 
Um, so I would definitely say this, this, this access piece has got to be in how we structure our schools, right? How we develop social contracts in terms of how we're going to relate to each other in our schools, right? the power relationships between teachers and students, um, how they are developed and why, uh, what it means to negotiate conflict, why, how are discipline systems reflecting the need to develop young people who can speak across difference, can negotiate conflict, can build community. So um, I think the access piece is in how we organize our schools. And you know, I think the work that we've worked to do at Urban Assembly or tried to do has been to organize schools around these principles of social emotional academic development. Uh, that our students aren't just participants in schools, they're contributors to the space. That that the only time that our students make decisions is not on, you know, do I want to start this assignment here and start this assignment next? Um, but as our students said in, in a recent congressional briefing for SEL Day, that I am a person, not just a student. Um, and if you see me as a person, you would recognize uh, that I'm bringing my whole self to bear when I'm trying to be a student. Um, and we invest in that person by investing in the kinds of things that are going to be the, 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 the defining factors, Amber, of this next generation, right? The defining factors are gonna be how do we navigate resentment across the rise of, of the immigrant population? How will we empower folks to contribute um, and create systems in which they can take their talents and skills and be rewarded and recognized through our economics, right? Um, we're gonna have some major differences of opinion and differences of values. And, and our young people are gonna be the ones to have to navigate those um, in a way that maintains our sense of community. So I wanna say, you probably have already answered the second part of this question um, with what you've just said, but I do wanna say it anyway. Um, you know, you said in this Thrive Global article that our education system remains fixated on preparing students for a life of tests instead of the tests of life. Um, you did touch upon this already about like them essentially um, inheriting all of this mess that we've all created for them. <laughs> but is there anything else that you wanna sprinkle on top um, to explain that quote or anything else that you wanna say about, you know, getting our kids ready? Uh, just that, I, I pulled that from Dr. Maurice Elias from Rutgers University, who was my professor um, when I was in college and he, was the one who invested me in this space in terms of social emotional learning. Um, you know, I mean, just, <laughs> there are problems that don't have equal signs attached to them. And they are the problems that define societies, right? I got nothing against engineers. Uh, engineers are not known to lead revolutions. Uh, I don't know of a revolution that engineers or, or scientists have been at the forefront of in terms of transforming society and replacing it. So, uh, we are going to continually refine our notion of this perfect union. In order to do that, we need young people who can do that. You know, I mean, good. I, I'm, I'm excited about shooting rockets to, to the moon. I'm, I'm excited about um, um, bridge building. But, but it's amazing to me that we, we were able to find the vaccines and these small little tiny problems in terms of like dealing with microscopic uh, bits to find a vaccine very quickly but the big problem of how do we convince folks to take care of their neighbors by wearing masks, well, we've really struggled on that. Yeah. Like, what's up with that, you know? We, we solved the problem of how to get a vaccine, but we struggled with the problem of how to be in relationship and 
community and take care of our fellow citizens. So if we're going to continue to struggle with that, and we always will, because that is an ongoing struggle in, in, in what it means to be in society. There was never a society that just sat down and like, we have for, formed the perfect union. We figured it out, you know? Three parts water, seven parts oil, throw some sugar in there, and folks will get along. <laughs> that's, that's not, I haven't seen that, maybe somebody else has, but if we're gonna recognize that that is not a state <laughs> uh, that we have seen, we're gonna need to invest in uh, young people who know how to solve the, the problems um, and the tests of life and not just a life of tests that we prepare them for in our current school systems. Yeah, that's real. So we've been talking a lot about uh, social emotional learning. And so I wanna ask, you know, what do parents and even educators get wrong about social emotional learning when it comes to education and even life? Hmm. Well, I mean, I say a couple of things. Um, one is that the goal of social emotional learning is to develop students who can empower themselves to solve problems, right? Intrapersonal problems, which is like, how do I relate to myself? Interpersonal problems, how do I uh, be in relationship with others given that they have different needs and interests than I do? Um, and then employ those problems to, to make good decisions. So I'd say, I mean, one of the big challenges that I've seen with educators is that um, while social emotional skills help students uh, to manage their emotions and their behaviors in ways that help them solve problems more effectively, that, that's like a byproduct of it, right? It's like the goal of SEL isn't to uh, put a kid in the corner and say, go self-manage, right? The goal of SEL is to equip that young person to understand not only themselves but others and problem solve to the goal or to the outcome that they, they care about. Right? Whether that's learning, whether that's forming relationships, whether that's maintaining relationships, whether that's regulating the mood. So I think that one of the challenges is that um, that I think social emotional learning is only seen in the uh, self-management um, context and, and only in the self context as well. It's social emotional learning, right? Social and emotional. So the emotional piece is very important, the intrapersonal skills, but the social pieces are just as important. Um, the other thing I would say is that uh, I think the challenge that folks need to recognize is that social skills um, and in how we understand social skills, while societally and socially constructed, are also designed to solve problems in terms of interpersonal relationships, right? So a hand salute, a bow in the context of um, East Asian cultures, uh, a handshake, a dap, these are all solving for how do I exchange respect and acknowledge another person's presence, right? So being bogged down, I think, in this idea that uh, the way to do it um, is societally or socially bound doesn't, doesn't, I think, elevate the question of like, what is the problem this is trying to solve, right? Um, socially lubricated interactions matter. How do I use social skills like understanding how to apologize and assume positive intent to reduce the level of conflict by increasing the lubrication and positive interactions in my in my in my relationships? That's what's trying to that's what we're trying to do here, and everybody's trying to solve for this. I mean, you can go to a hunter gatherer 
society in, 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 in Papua New Guinea, and they're also trying to solve for it, right? How do I reduce conflict and increase the, the, the likelihood of a positive and effective interaction? It may look different. The structures and systems may be different. Uh, the actual um, demonstrations of that con concept may not be the same, the same way that a hand salute is different than a handshake, right? But the problem being solved is, is consistent. How do I exchange respect? So I think we are, we are maybe um, um, investing too deeply into what things look like and critiquing uh, what things look like as socially bound and not recognizing some of the universality of these kinds of social interactions that allow us to be in community and relationship with each other. I appreciate that. I do. I want to ask another follow-up just real quick. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you touched upon universality, right? Mm -hmm. Which I absolutely love. But I get in many SEL conversations, particularly with like white educators, and the goal, it sounds as if the goal is uniformity, right? So it's like, we're all the same. <laughs> we're learning these SEL skills so that we can all meld as one, right? So I wonder what your thoughts are on the idea of using SEL to become uniformed versus, uh, you know, using SEL for some other purpose to engage uh, in community? That's a great question, Amber, thanks. We're always, I think, as a society trying to negotiate our individual and social identities, right? We're always trying to come up with a shared language of interactions that allow us to understand each other. Um, while honoring and respecting individuals' um, cultures and backgrounds. And the analogy I use is Indonesia. Um, Indonesia, uh, obviously, is an island, and, um, and it's an archipelago. I think I said that right. But yeah. they have all these smaller islands uh, that, that make it up. And as you know, smaller islands tend to develop distinct cultures and, and identities. And so, um, and so uh, Indonesia had all these different languages, but they wanted one national sense of how to communicate. Um, it's very difficult to communicate if you've got 30 or 40 different languages to, to master, right? Uh, and so they just came up with a language, right? And pretty much kind of invented it uh, at a wholesale. And that became the common way that folks could communicate their needs and wants um, and make their intentions known. So from my perspective, it's not necessarily about uniformity per se. Um, it's a question of what is our common frame of reference in which I can understand who you are and what your needs and wants are. Uh, and language is a, is a good way to do that, right? If, if you and I were speaking different languages, it would take us a long time to communicate to each other. Um, and so I would, I would nuance this notion of uniformity um, with this idea that without a common frame of reference, um, it's very difficult for us to understand the intent and the actions of other people. Um, and there's something to be gained from using a, a universal language that allows us to interact in ways that reflect our intents. Word, appreciate that a ton, thank you. So you're not just like a super awesome CEO of the Urban Assembly, killing it, being an evangelist for SEL, you are also an author um, of The Educator's Practical Guide to Emotional Intelligence and the co-author of a textbook, 
shout out to that, challenges to integrating diversity, equity, and inclusion programs in organizations. Um, so can you talk a bit about these texts and how you hope that readers will use them? Absolutely. Uh, so our first book is Educators, Practical Guide to Emotional Intelligence, and I wrote that with uh, Dr. David Caruso and Lisa Reeves. Um, and that's a book that's just a very practical understanding of how to take principles of emotional intelligence, um, how to move, how to map, how to match, um, how to take these emotional inputs, information, and use them to meet your goals, right? So we have a great example uh, across the book of how emotions impact teaching um, and how to channel and harness those emotions to meet the things and the goals that you're trying to accomplish in life. So. I'm very proud of that book. I think that is a, uh, gives really practical guidance to educators on how to um, channel their emotions to, to be and meet their goals. Um, I think in the, the challenges to integrating diversity, equity, inclusion programs and organizations, our chapter in that book was focused on culturally relevant approaches to social and emotional learning. A lot of it is what we just talked about. Right? How do we start with what students know, um, start with students' experiences, recognize who they are, um, and use that to abstract uh, principles of, of social interactions, right? Um, how do we move from a question like, what is the five steps to a handshake, uh, to an enduring question like, how do we interact with each other in ways that show respect? What does this look like in different contexts? Now let's talk about what are some ways we can master that in the context of, a, um, of an American uh, society um, to negotiate and to, to communicate the things that you want to communicate. Um, again, you know, I've been in the military 18 years. I'm a civil affairs officer. You go through cultural cultural relevance training and, and before you deploy. Um, and, and that's the point. The point is to say, what is it that you want to communicate to the person you're working with? Uh, and what are the kinds of interactions that will do that? And and, and vice versa. Uh, what What is it that you don't want to communicate? And what is it the, those interactions that will, will do that as well? So that the intent, what you're trying to communicate, send, and the receive uh, what the people are receiving from your attentions are in alignment with each other through your behaviors and yours. Mm. Yo, yes, 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 yes. Okay, so we have covered so many things and I appreciate you for that. Um, I just wanna know if there's anything else that you'd like to share, anything coming up with your students, any ways that people can support your students or support your work or whatever, what would you like to tell the people? Well, first, Amber, I just want to say I'm a great fan of your work. I think um, your language around civic discourse, the role of civic development in our society, uh, the importance of civic in schools, um, not as a class that teaches you the three you know, forms of government, but as an action and a participation in self-governance. I, I think you do some of the best work out there and making civic live, civics live. Um, so I just want to give you one more shout out for that because you inspired me. Uh, I appreciate you too. Um, the other thing I would say is uh, we did a great job with SEL Day, um, hashtag SEL Day. Have, if you haven't checked it out on the internet, please do. Uh, we had 12 million impressions on, on Twitter. We were trending for over two hours. So really proud of being able to put um, a concept of building bonds and reimagining community into the world. Uh, we have an upcoming SEL symposium. Um, you can check it out at theurbanassembly.org. Uh, you can sign up to participate. We're going to have Heather McGee as your keynote. She's going to talk about some of us, her new book that reflects on the role of racism and diminishing all of Americans um, by taking us away from not only our communities, um, but also taking us away from 
kind of the nothing both economic outcomes that would have been improved if racism had been eradicated a lot earlier than it was. So um, we're looking forward to uh, being in community with Heaven McGee during that time. Um, and I'm looking forward to just staying in touch with you, Amber, and, and your work and the work of uh, uh, civic development in our schools. Yes. Yes, yes, all the things. Yes, David, it has been super dope having you here. The next time we bring you back on the show, the kiddos will be here to grill you with their questions themselves. I love it. Yes, but we really appreciate you coming on. Thank you so very much. I will make sure that all of the things that you mentioned are linked in the show notes. And I just want to remind people to follow David on Twitter. So I will have his handle um, linked in the show notes as well. Thank you so very much, David. I appreciate the Amber. Thank you. If you enjoyed this conversation, please follow David Adams on Twitter at David Adams underscore SEL. That's D-A-D-A-M-S underscore S-E-L. David Adams said, I can be the community that I want to create. And he challenges us to pursue that collaborative creation with this statement. It's time for us to take those who have the imagination and the willpower to bring us to a larger, deeper, stronger community to come forth and say yes we can do better. The notion of community and the practice of negotiating competing priorities is rooted in civic practices supported by social emotional learning skills. We challenge families and educators to think more about how we build, sustain, and evolve our notion of community. Who is in and who is on the outside looking in? How do we exclude intentionally or unintentionally? How do we signal that the communal space is welcoming and what signals do we give off that deny full access to others how can we be deeper in community with each other if you have any cool epiphanies you would like to share please leave them in the comments or share with us on social media each episode we will share quotes that we find inspirational Yayoi Kusama is a Japanese contemporary artist. She openly discusses how her art has become a way for her to express her mental health experiences and challenges. Kusama engages with a variety of mediums, painting, performance, film, fashion, poetry, and fiction. She is most famously known for her sculpture and installation, primarily using dots and repetition. Her quotes... I want to start a revolution using art to build the sort of society I myself envisioned. Forget yourself. Become one with eternity. Become part of your environment. More and more, I think about the role of the arts. And as an artist, I think it's important that I share the love and peace. Our Earth is only one polka dot among a million stars in the cosmos. Polka dots are a way to infinity. Thank you for listening to the Less K-12 Better Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe. We want to hear from you. 
connect with us on social media at Let's K-12 Better on all social media platforms or connect with me on Twitter, Instagram, and Clubhouse at Mom of All Capes. We've got a newsletter with awesome resources and tools for families and educators. The link is in the show notes, so please sign up. The Let's K-12 Better podcast is available on every podcasting platform. So if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to rate and review our podcast. Your feedback helps us grow. Thank you so much for listening. See you next time. At T-Mobile, we believe in putting people first by treating them right. So we've upped the benefits without upping the price. With Magenta Max, you get our best plan for 5G with unlimited premium data that can't slow down based on how much smartphone data you use. Plus, you'll pay zero cost to switch. And bring your phone. We'll pay it off up to 800 bucks. Only at T-Mobile. Capable device required for 5G. Activate up to 4K or video streams of 480p. 40 gigs high-speed tethering. Up to $800 via virtual prepaid card. Allow 15 days. Support charges waived. See details at T-Mobile.com. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks.